Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. I'm Tony. And we're uh, finishing up our uh, chapter four here in our Truth in the Culture of Doubt. Uh, and uh, we've been going over um, Ehrman's popularization of Walter Bauer's hypothesis, which uh, uh, has this idea that uh, there were many Christianities within uh, early Christianity, a.k.a. the first century, We've seen that uh, Bauer... And the winners, by the way, the winners, the most powerful faction, sex, whatever, they developed what we now know as orthodoxy. Right. right? So the, the, the basics of the Christianity we know today uh, are, are built upon the, the, the blood of the fallen <laughs> and uh, the might of the victors. That's right. <clears throat> and yeah. so... Um, uh, Winner we, take all yeah, here. We, yeah. we, we've, we've seen um, six claims so far. We're on the last two in the summation here. <clears throat> And we see that Bauer's claims doesn't necessarily match up right. to, to what we view in history. Right. In uh, fact, Bauer looked at the second century and beyond instead of looking at the original sources in the first century yeah. and what was going on. In the first centuries, what we've seen is that there was what, what has been called, you know, this rule of faith, where there was a basic orthodoxy. And so let's, you know, and so that is what, uh, that's what was passed on in the second centuries and, 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 and thereafter. And so, yeah, you're right. Bauer's uh, thesis here doesn't seem to, to match what actually happened. Right. And so uh, finishing up our last two claims here, claim number seven is that orthodoxy, which was the product of a much later church councils. So again, it's not the apostles, but these, these councils, uh, it did not exist in the first century. For example, None of the apostles have claimed that Jesus was, quote, fully God and fully man, the hypostatic union. That That's we, right. So you can't find hypostatic union. You can't find uh, within their, the, the, the apostles' writings, quote, fully God and fully man. That arose by this council later on, so it's probably not uh, a traditional view of, of Christianity, one of the many Christianities, That's nonetheless. Right. That's right. Uh, another claim, or that he was begotten, not made of one substance with the Father, as the 4th century Nicene Creed maintained. Okay? That, those can't be found in the Bible. I, I will concede <laughs> the victory to you. So the victorious group called itself Orthodox. So right. these church councils formed. They came up with these new terminologies, Trinity, Hypostatic Union, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, pick the hypoousias <laughs> and all, all the all the Greek that I keep forgetting because yeah. uh, I don't know my church history all that well. <clears throat> and so... Um, Excuse me. Our, our authors tell us that at this point, Erdman is correct, yeah. but only in part. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, so he's created somewhat of a straw man that fails to represent accurately the opposing side and is, they suggest, easily dismantled. Right. So one must assume that as a seasoned scholar, Erdman is fully aware that mature expressions of Christianity are not claiming that Jesus or the apostles actually uttered the exact words or used the same constructions as the Nicene Creed, right? right? Uh, this is a bit like saying the doctrine of the Trinity is not in the Bible. Why? Well, because the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity. Yeah. Right? Right. So no legitimate argument for or against the Trinity can be made on the sole basis of whether the word Trinity is used in the Bible. And so neither can one decide if certain later theological statements such as those found in the Nicene Creed, um, are faithful to the New Testament simply by saying Jesus and the apostles never used the exact same language. Right. So they've changed things. They've made it up. Right. They were innovators. <laughs> right. Because right. Jesus never said that. The apostles never said that. Right. Well, you know, Trinity isn't found in the Bible either, at least the word. But Trinity is found 
teaching the, the, the you know all over the Bible. Right, right, right. It, it assumes no development within church history. There's no reason not to think that. Um, uh, parsing out the the, the different um, uh, implications and applications mm-hmm. is exactly what we have been doing. It's why the church councils form, uh, responding to heresies come in, trying to trying to maintain. Uh, uh, where to go back to. And so uh, once you get out of uh, the early centuries of the church, once these council forms to, to, to say, okay, uh, we believe that uh, heresy is, is among us. Let's, let's uh, d- determine things like um, whether, whether Christ's godly essence was mixed in with his human essence. That, that was one of them. I remember that one. Um, or, or were they completely separate? Okay. Well, you know, you're not going to find that, minute discussion within the scope of scripture, but does the scripture inform that? And so when these councils meet, where do they go? Do they just go, okay, let's put our, our, our magic pebble in, into the bowl. Whoever has the most votes wins. Uh, Well, in some sense, yes, but what, what's informing their, their vote. It's a discussion of what the scriptures taught going back to the apostles and Jesus. Exactly. And also the prophets in the Old Testament as well. So it is uh, inconceivable to believe that the early church fathers who took great care to emphasize their roles as handing down the traditions would have scrapped its core tenets in favor of their own novel teaching. Yeah. So it says, you know, hold fast to, to the truth of the, the Jesus and the apostles. Well, my dad was a Christian in, in uh, you know, 80, 80 of uh, 45, <laughs> and he remembers something different. Oh, uh, well, hold on. Uh, he was wrong. Just trust your leaders on this <laughs> for, for reasons. So yet, Ehrman's uh, uh, argument implicitly forces one of two options on the listener. Either one, the fourth century creed spoke in the same way as the New Testament, Right. Okay. Use the same language, the same words, all that kind of stuff. Right. right. Or two, that the creeds are in contradiction with Jesus and the apostles. Right. So, uh, you know, the, the, these other councils, they can't uh, they can't come up with new terminology. They can't refer to shorthand. They can't uh, uh, clarify uh, uh, a easy to understand or easily memorized one. They they can only do one of two things: either they're contradictory or they're using explicitly. The, the, the words spoken in the New Testament, right. nothing else. That's Those right. are the only things that can happen. <laughs> so the creeds, notice, are the, our authors tell us, are organic continuation of the theology of the New Testament mm. without any transmutation, they say change, mm. right, of the DNA of the Old Testament gospel message, which in turn is rooted in the Old Testament. Question right. the canon, Michael J. Kruger. <laughs> there read you it. go. <laughs> Thus, the Orthodox creeds of the 4th and 5th centuries were not imposed onto the early church, but were instead logical continuations of New Testament Orthodox. Right. right. And so our, our final uh, uh, claim here, uh, is that the creation of the canon was one of uh, the strategies used by the Proto-Orthodox to, d- to diminish the authority of other early Christian literature. So how did it, how did it, uh, how did it uh, take the, the, the might that it had, the, the numbers, the, the power, the weapons, what, <laughs> however, however they diminished everything else, uh, what did they use specifically? The creation of the canon. Hmm. And so um, we, we, see that the the concept of the canon is actually um, quite uh, a bit different than than what we see um, uh, Bauer present here. Right, right. So our our book tells us in order to explain the historical problems with this argument, we've broken the following response into two sections, the concept of the canon and the contents of the New Testament canon. So with regard to the concept 
of the canon. They say that rather than serving as a weapon created by the Orthodox Church Fathers to to kind of squash all diversity, the concept of the canon, that is a group of recognized authoritative texts, that's the idea of the canon, recognized authoritative texts, not only preceded the production of the New Testament, this concept, but also led to the production of the books recognized as scripture, Mm -hmm. right? So the concept of canon was a natural, early, and uh, inevitable development in a movement with Jewish roots, Mm -hmm. right? Because the Jews had a canon. The Jews had scriptures, right? The Jewish scriptures were built around the concept of covenant and that issued in written texts. And so with this background, covenant, written text that the Jews had, combined with the belief that God had finally instituted the new covenant foretold by the prophets of old, the earliest Christians expected, would have expected God to supply written documents to accompany his new covenant as he did in the case of the old covenant. Yeah. So you have, you have uh, God, the father, he, uh, or God, Yahweh, he, he manifests himself. Uh, he uh, chooses a, a, a prime uh, speaker to speak on his behalf to the people that, that represents him, uh, then uh, the, the, the prophets or the, the, the person or the person uh, um, uh, has scribes uh, write down the words and, and ascribes uh, authority uh, to God. So not I, Moses said, or I, Abraham said, uh, Yahweh says such and such, you mm-hmm. know, don't, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, uh, honor your father and mother, all those things. Uh, and then that is uh, placed up in the temple. Uh, it's read from uh, people stand. Uh, they uh, they honor it as uh, the very words of God. That mm-hmm. that it, they don't they don't view it as a as an idol per se, but they view those words as coming from God authoritatively. Uh, applies to them from before they were born, after they were born, to their progeny. Uh, the 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 Shema, the the belief in the monotheistic God. You're supposed to write God's law on your your head and your your doorposts and all these things. And what am I describing? Am I describing only the Old Testament? No, I'm also describing the New Testament because that's exactly what the New Testament believers did. They also memorized portions of scripture. They also looked back at uh, God's word and said, okay, how does this apply to us today? The, mm-hmm. the Again, the, the Bereans searched fervently day and night uh, to, to see if Paul was telling the truth. Uh, what was Paul doing when he was going to to the to the, the synagogues? Yeah. He was referencing the Old Testament. And what do we do today? We say, here's a, a, a quote from the Old Testament, uh, and we see uh, uh, allusions or this this uh, this prophecy fulfilled in Jesus here in you know Isaiah 53 and Psalm 23 and uh, you know what have you. So it's not a new thing. The the, the New Testament writers, the the, the canon. Uh, of the New Testament is not divorced from the Old Testament. Some want to do. That's a continuation. So we shouldn't view it as as two books. It's one one book. It's right. it's it's the words <laughs> of God that that um, have the same um, authority and derives itself from the same concepts. Right, and we could argue then that just like they had the Old Testament. Uh, scriptures because of the old covenant that they expected a new testament writings yeah. because of the new covenant right michael j kruger question <laughs> the canon and so you know this was kind of uh the idea so the concept of the canon then this this group uh, of uh of writings uh they are suggesting um not only preceded the production of the new testament but also led to the production of the books recognized as scripture right right, right. 
So yeah, how, how did they do it back in the day? <laughs> Same way. So what is more, uh, there is clear evidence from the New Testament itself that the earliest Christians had a theological category for canon. It just didn't suddenly ar- arise. It, yeah. it was there. It was yeah. present. Yeah. And, and an understanding that the canon uh, on par with the Old Testament canon was emerging. It mm. was it was coming about it, the, the same way that uh, Isaiah could write Isaiah and David could write Psalms and uh, Moses can write the the five books of uh, the, the Pentateuch. Um, all, all these things were emerging, and mm. at some point they stopped emerging. And why don't we continue to recognize books today, or 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 even why does there seem to be a termination within the recognition of the canon? Because they had an expectation of, of that happening, because yeah. it's happened before. Yeah. So let's consider some examples here. All right. Uh, so uh, 2 Peter 3.16, he, that is Paul, and so again, Peter is writing, and he's referencing Paul here. He, Paul, speaks about these things in all his letters, which there are some matters that are hard to understand. So again, as Peter's saying, there are some things that Paul teaches that are hard to understand. Mm-hmm. I can attest to this. <laughs> <laughs> so that the untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction. So there, there's an understanding that Paul is teaching something that others twist. Right. Well, if you can just have whatever you want, twist, uh, use, uh, yeah. use freely. Yeah. Uh, take my words and do whatever you want with them. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, we'll, we'll see uh, who the victors are in a couple centuries. So the untaught and the unstable twist them uh, to their own destruction, destruction, as they also do with the rest of scriptures. Mm. Again, here is Peter decreeing that, uh, Paul's uh, 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 letters, right. yeah. his writings are scripture that yeah. you can hold them up in the same fashion that you can, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Isaiah and Psalms and Proverbs and uh, Genesis, all, all these things. Paul asserts that Paul's letters are scripture on par with the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. So that's a huge claim. Right? Yeah. Peter is saying that what Paul wrote was the same as scripture. Right. Right. Yeah. In 1 Timothy 5.18, it says this, for the scripture says, notice this, the scripture says, what does the scripture Mm. say? This is Paul writing to Timothy. Uh, For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Right? Notice Paul cites Deuteronomy 25.4, an Old Testament passage, with regard to the ox and muzzling the ox, or not muzzling the ox, mm-hmm. alongside Luke ten seven, This is a New Testament book citing the words of Christ and refers to both as Scripture. Ooh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> also in Second Peter 3, 2, uh, it says uh, that you can remember the words previously spoken of the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles, mm. right? So here, Peter is telling us that the written words of the Old Testament prophets are placed alongside the testimony of the New Testament apostles, implying that the latter, the New Testament apostles, like the former, right, the prophets of the Old Testament, were viewed as uh, divine revelation, Mm -hmm. right? So again, we have this expectation that... uh, was going on here was a development of the canon and new writings that God was giving uh, through His apostles. Right, and again, when when Paul writes to people, what does he say when he says like, if you need a good good example, look to me? And he's not saying like, oh, I'm just making this up haphazardly. He's saying, am I doing what I previously said? Yes, that's what I'm trying to do. 
uh, use me as an example. So not just whatever I do is, is the, the law and you can just, you know, I happen to change it here, there, whatever you like. But then Paul also, when he's talking about uh, marriage and remarriage, what he'll say is, uh, this is a message from the Lord. And then he'll go, but I, Paul, say this. So why, if, if he's wanting to just make up scripture for himself, why doesn't he then purse this? But, you know, I, I, I Paul, would suggest this. I, not from the Lord, say this mm. about concerning marriage. Maybe it's best to hold off if, if you're unmarried uh, to, to dedicate yourself to the Lord. Well, okay, but again, if 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 Paul's just writing scripture and and getting one under people, why does he why does he kind of bifurcate that 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 message there? Mm-hmm. Just just say all of this is from God. <laughs> I have spoken. This is the case. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't seem to to, to logically um, follow one from another. Uh, so the the contents of the, the New Testament canon is is um, uh, kind of uh, the the next portion here and uh, the assumption made by Ehrman is that there was nothing to distinguish the new canon documents from the other writings uh, by listing various heretical writings uh, Ehrman makes it appear that the process by which uh, uh, books made it into the canon was somewhat of a free-for-all various other heretical writings all of these things throws them all into the pot and then we kind yeah. of you know grab yeah. out which ones we like I've got because Luke. we have the power yeah I've got Luke I've got Acts <clears throat> let's let's staple a shepherd or Hermus, mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll remove right. it later on. The Gospel uh, of Thomas, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, however, listing books uh, completed in the mid to late second and third century makes a little difference in the discussion concerned with the New Testament, since all the books included in the canon were completed by around at least uh, AD 100 at the latest. Yeah, so notice uh, we have certain books, the books of the New Test in the New Testament canon that were written at least by 100 AD, right? And then we have all of these lists of second and third century books, and he kind of lists all of these things as if they're equivalent these second and third century books to the ones that we have the earliest books that mm-hmm. we have. Well, you know, that's kind of cheating. Yeah, right? well, just yeah, make a list <laughs> and include everything in there without yeah. without you know. Uh, uh, Saying okay, well, you know, Gospel of Thomas is written much, much later, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of uh, uh, um, putting all your eggs in, in the basket and saying, <laughs> look how many eggs I have. Well, they come from three different chickens. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. And so our authors tell us that, uh, as will be evident in the next chapter, the historical credentials of the books listed by Erdman do not compare to those uh, of the New Testament documents. Mm-hmm. Right? For example, the Gospels written. Uh, by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are first century documents, whereas the Gospel of Thomas, you know, for example, uh, dates to the second century. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a distinction there. What's more, the Gospel of Thomas is not even a gospel. Right. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, it, it doesn't contain a continuing narrative of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? It's kind of like a one long, I think it's uh, 118 or 117, 18 verses of, you know, of, of a story, yeah. basically. Right? And some of it's missing. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, Erdman uh, illegitimately excludes the notion of the Holy Scripture as God's means of guiding early Christians yeah. to recognize God's inspired words, right? And so, you know, this is a supernatural thing, and he doesn't want to include this, right, right because of his naturalistic leanings. Right? And, and so, again, from his presuppositions, we wouldn't expect him to, to, to adhere to this. But if if you're taking the belief of what the apostles believed 
and what early Christians believed and what the church fathers believed and uh, what the, the, the church has historically proclaimed is that the Holy Spirit uh, guide, guide, guided the, the hands of the apostles to, to write down the, the words of Jesus to remembrance. Uh, even Jesus says that uh, he would send his helper to help them recall so that they could do the, this thing. This is the thing. And so, uh, again, uh, uh, Michael J. Kruger has written, written a great book called Canon Revisited, uh, probably, uh, probably my favorite book of his, where he's, he talks about these, um, these different views on what the canon is and, and how it uh, uh, was derived. And he, he says that there's a lot of good aspects to these theories, a lot of negative aspects, but he comes with this understanding that the Holy Spirit uh, was God's means by which he guided the early church. And so what does that look like? What are the implications to that? And what are the historical realizations from that? So it's, it's a fascinating, really good book. And mm-hmm. uh, um, my first introduction to Kruger where I was like, oh, there's someone writing about this in this fashion. <laughs> it was, it was, it, it's really good. So uh, that's my last Kruger book. I, I think I may have all of them. Uh, there's probably a few more that he's written <laughs> different on. Uh, so, um, even as a historical matter, for those who question any uh, explicit theological criteria, the vast majority of books that made it into the New Testament have come to have a reputation for being valuable before any authoritative collection was named by any council. And you see this because they're used. Yeah. They're used and they're spread around. Uh, other churches are uh, referencing to them. Um, uh, Peter says, uh, you know, I write to you, uh, now you... Uh, I, I write to the churches. And so churches, well, hold on. I thought there was one church. And it's it's not like today where you have uh, First Baptists and Second Baptists <laughs> on either side. And sometimes they have snowball fights uh, uh, or, or uh, you know, because uh, six years ago that the, the congregation reached 60. And that was really big for the congregation back then. Uh, th- this this is they could throw more snowballs. <laughs> right, yeah. uh, th- this is you know a, pretty much a town had a church maybe, or you had you know small house churches that kind of knew each other, and so uh, you know the definition of church matters here as well. Um, so uh, Irenaeus uh, names more than twenty of these books at the end of the second century, long before any church council of the fourth and fifth century. And so that is really powerful. I think it's right? powerful, a powerful piece of historical evidence, and I right? think. People misuse that and say this was the first time that um, uh, anyone knew any concept of the canon. No, he's reporting on the use of these in in a canonical sense. Right. And again, drawn back from what? Drawn back from the Old Testament. It's it's the Old Testament. Uh, the, the New Testament is continuing on from that. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, so finally, what they suggest in this chapter is that Erdman is uh, kind of preaching to the <laughs> choir. Right. That's that's the next section. Right. So he, uh, he closes his book, Lost Christianities, and he ties his grand narrative of the early uh, diversity to some pastoral implications, right? And let me just read a portion of this so that we get a feel for what he was talking about mm-hmm. here. He says, the broader interest in and heightened appreciation for diverse manifestations of religious experience, belief, and practice today has contributed to a greater fascination with the diverse expression of Christianity in various periods of history, perhaps especially in its earliest period. This fascination is not simply a matter of quicking anterior interest, right? There is instead a sense that alternative understandings of Christianity from the past can be cherished yet today, that they can provide insights 
even now for those of us who are concerned about the world and our place in it. Those captivated with this fascinating, commonly felt uh, a sense of loss upon realizing just how many perspectives once endorsed by well-meaning, intelligent, and sincere believers came to abandon, destroy, and forgotten, as were the texts that these believers produced, read, and revered. Right? So that's uh, Bart Ehrman's Lost Christianities, page 257. Right. And so, you know, so here, Erdman kind of is, you know, uh, kind of giving some pastoral implications. <laughs> some, he's giving some application, right, Ooh. to to, uh, to the to the truths that he's telling his, his people. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, notice our author tells us that uh, despite Erdman's uh, rhetorical flourishes, uh, he ultimately fails to carry out the role of objective historian. Right. His sermon here, <laughs> which celebrates diversity, right, uh, is well received as he preaches to the choir of postmodern culture. Right. So postmodernism is all about diversity. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, very much so. So uh, if Erdman's listeners are willing to uncover their ears, <laughs> our, our authors tell us uh, to hear, they will find that the historical evidence of Erdman's own grand narrative is simply not there. Yeah. Right. yeah. So again, uh, Barnerman says that he's um, he's helped popularize uh, Bauer, and we see that uh, um, uh, Kostenberger and our authors, as well as Kostenberger and Michael J. Kruger, um, have have um, uh, done a, a great service in responding to this, and that's exactly what uh, scholarship should do. And if if uh, if Ehrman maybe has his way, he would kick. People like Kruger and Kostenberger out because, uh, well, they're believers and they're too biased. Right. But this is the type of response that you would want because this seems to be a, a if, if the if the claims of Christianity are true, what are the implications from it, and what do we see in history? Mm-hmm. And so, wouldn't we want to believe uh, the the what the implications are from someone who has a tradition of of looking of being looked forward to by a large group of people who is supposed to be the the, the uh, light on the hill, the proclamation of the forgiveness of sin, the being made whole to the creator of the universe. That person allegedly comes and uh, does miracles, uh, uh, teaches uh, good things, says that he's the only way, uh, is killed, dies, gets buried, and in three days resurrects, and then comes back and forms the church. Uh, I'm, that's an important message, and to, to just say, well, that's not possible. It's, or to say, uh, we're not sure that happened, but the winners declared that that's what happened, right. and so that's became orthodoxy. Right. Right. And and what we looked at last chapter too is that if you apply the same standard to anybody else, if if you had the court of of Julius Caesar write the histories of Julius Caesar, which hasn't happened, but <laughs> let's say that was found, Ehrman would have to say, well, we can't take this person for light. They were employed by Caesar. Oh, they, he was paid by him. He's yeah. too biased. Right. He was there. He. He, he only he didn't want to lose his head, so we can't believe that person. Now, th- there's a lot of implications there. He may be right. It, right. We, he it, maybe Julius Caesar never lost a war right. in his entire life. Right. And, and, and so honest, again, yeah, there's, yeah we, <laughs> we have to take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure, uh, there may be bias, and bias such that the truth isn't told. So the question we have again is not whether there's bias, but whether we have the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really what the question is. Right. right. 
So uh, that's what we've done for this chapter is hopefully uh, giving you a perspective if, if you ever hear of uh, the Bauer Hypothesis or, or, or um, Ehrman's teaching on this. Um, uh, hopefully this is good resources. Hopefully I've said Michael J. Kruger's uh, version <laughs> enough. Michael J. Kruger and I believe uh, Kostenberger wrote uh, jointly The uh, Heresy of Orthodox. Michael Kruger also has a book about uh, Christianity in the 2nd century. Um, you'll hear probably a lot of times uh, us uh, saying, and Michael Kruger wrote a book about this because uh, Michael Kruger probably wrote a book about everything. Uh, Michael J. Kruger, as I said, we would say, uh, Christianity at the Crossroads, Anders Kostenberger and Michael Kruger. And Michael J. Kruger, and again, Michael J. Kruger's written pretty much a lot on this as well. And so I'll refer to another Michael J. Kruger book as we have been uh, for this chapter. Question the Canon, Question the Canon, Michael J. Kruger. There you yeah. go. Michael J. Kruger, Question <laughs> the Canon. Uh, again, uh, uh, Michael J. Kruger has written, written a great book called Canon Revisited. Hopefully I've said Michael J. Kruger's uh, enough. Yeah, uh, I think he's going to owe us. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> at, at least $7. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he wants to come on the show and, yeah. and, and do an interview. That'd be great. Uh, and so uh, continuing on, uh, the next time we're still um, um, looking at uh, New Testament documents. And so uh, the, the claims that we're addressing in Chapter 5 are uh, is the question of, are many New Testament documents forged? <laughs> Fake. False. Wow. So, uh, yeah. And so uh, I'm sure I'll say the name Michael J. Kruger uh, a couple more times in, in there as well, as, as well as uh, our authors, which we thank for writing this book. And uh, hopefully uh, you've enjoyed it. Again, there's more information out there. Uh, um, pick up the books out there. If, if something's uh, touching your fancy, read from the other side, read from the other other side, read from the side that... Uh, right. Read Ehrman's yeah, book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, allow uh, the, the, the truth of the facts to, to speak to you because uh, that's ultimately what we all uh, want to do. That's what right. Christ proclaims to us, to, to seek the truth and the truth shall set us free. And so hopefully uh, uh, we've helped you to do that. And uh, hopefully you'll tell somebody else that uh, you enjoyed this. And uh, we appreciate those who have listened and continue to listen and uh, leave us nice little comments from time to time too. We appreciate that. So thank you. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.